0: Psalm 55, verses 16 through 23. But I call upon the Lord, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and he will hear my voice. He will redeem me unharmed from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God, who is enthroned from of old, will hear and will humble them, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion laid hands on a friend and violated a covenant with me, with speech smoother than butter, but with a heart set on war, with words that were softer than oil, but in fact were drawn on swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O oh God, will cast them down into the lowest pit. The bloodthirsty and treacherous shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Esther, chapter 7, verse 7, through chapter 8, verse 17. The king rose from the feast in wrath and went into the palace garden, but Haman stayed to beg his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that the king had determined to destroy him. When the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman had thrown himself on the couch where Esther was reclining. And the king said, "'Will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house?' As the words left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance of the king, said, Look, the very gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, stands at Haman's house, fifty cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that they had prepared for Mordecai. Then the anger of the king abated. On that day, King Ah Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what, was, what he was to her. And then the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. So Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet, weeping and pleading with him to avert the evil design of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. The king held out the golden scepter to Esther, and Esther rose and stood before the king. She said, If it pleases the king, and if he ha- and if I have won his favor, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I have his approval, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, which he wrote giving orders to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming on my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to the Jew Mordecai, See, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he plotted to lay hands on the Jews. You may write as you please with regard to the Jews, in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king, and sealed with the king's ring, cannot be revoked. The king's secretaries were summoned at that time, in the third month, which is the month of Sivium, on the twenty-third day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai had commanded. To the Jews and to the satraps and the governors and the officials in the provinces, from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to every province in its own script and to every people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script and their language, he wrote letters in the king, in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed them with the king's ring, and sent them by mounted couriers riding on fast steeds bred from the royal herd. By these letters, the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to assemble and defend their lives to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, with their children and women, and to plunder their goods. On a single day, throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of the writ was to be issued as a decree in every province and published to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take revenge on their enemies. So the couriers, mounted on their swift royal steeds, hurried out, urged by the king's command, The decree was issued in the citadel of Sissa. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king, wearing royal robes, blue and white, with a great golden crown and a mantle of fine linen and purple, while the city of Sissa shouted and rejoiced. For the Jews there was light and gladness, joy and honor. In every province and in every city, wherever the king command and his edict came, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a festival and a holiday, Furthermore, many of the peoples of the country professed to be Jews because of the fear that Jews had fallen upon them. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Good morning and welcome to the 8th Wednesday after Pentecost. This morning's readings um, were long and we won't focus on them because today is the feast day of Soldier St. Ignatius of Loyola. Um, you probably know of Ignatius. He founded one of the largest orders in the Catholic uh, Catholic tradition called the Jesuits. Um, and he first referred to... Um, them the the group, as the companions uh, of Jesus and the company of Jesus, and he did that um, uh, under the the model of uh, military unit, as he had been a knight, a Spanish knight in fact he 'd been um, good at it, and he really enjoyed being a knight until one day. Um, He was uh, in a battle against the French, and a cannonball um, grazed his leg, which for a cannonball, there's no grazing. It's like, it was pretty bad. Um, And so he broke his leg on a cannonball. He could have died, probably should have died. Um, And he was so um, full of himself that he, um, when he healed, there had there was a, a lump of some kind or protrusion, and he insisted that the protrusion be um, uh, ground down um, because he didn't he didn't want to appear to be disabled. Uh, he would walk with a limp the rest of his life, but he w- he was so vain that he had them before anesthesia existed. Grind down a protrusion of bone after he'd been hit by a cannonball. While he was convalescing, um, while he was um, laid up in the hospital, he would read books, um, and he found himself reminiscing about his time as a knight. And he was—he wasn't young. He was uh, in his twenties, which um, at the time was, you know, was pretty old. Um, maybe not quite middle age, but you know, it's relatively um, mature. Um, and he thought about the womanizing and all the, the heroic feats that he'd had in battle and, you know, it kind of got him excited and then it, it would fade. One of the books that he was reading was The Life of Christ, which was this reimagination of Jesus' life, not as four Gospels, but as one story. And not, not like a harmony, like trying to make it all that accurate, but relatively um, imaginative. And this book that he was reading, "Life of Christ," used red letters to highlight Jesus' words. This isn't the first time it happened, but it was um, uh, relatively popular, and this book, in the introduction, "Ludolf of Saxony," the author," encouraged people to imagine themselves inside the story of Jesus' life and inside the, the story that was being told. Um, it was something called you know this contemplative prayer. And when he thought about not just the life of Christ but also the lives of the saints uh, from a book that he was reading as well, the, he found that the excitement that he felt didn't fade nearly as much as when he thought of his own life and his exploits and how happy he was with them and so he began considering becoming a christian and or rather he was from i mean the whole world was christian at the time that they knew of um but he began wondering how he might serve god in the same way he served his his family and his name and his his country and he eventually uh, it was a very s- uh slow process for him process of several years but eventually he committed to going to seminary and taking latin he was not very good at latin he failed it several times and uh while he was meditating one day um near uh, an image of the black Madonna, the black madonna in montserrat near barcelona he laid down his sword and his shield one last time um, and he never would pick them up again. He he stopped being a knight, and he committed himself fully to this vision he had of creating uh, the company of Jesus, the Jesuits, who to this day are called God's Marines. Um, and f- for a long time, up until just very recently, serving in the military was expected, or to be prepared to serve in some organized force. And so today, we think of the military as being a novelty, you know we're less than 9% of the American population, if we include military families and veterans and veterans' families. Um, and, but during Ignatius's time, it was common. Like, if you were not fit to be in the military, there was something wrong with you. Um, and so I highlight people like Ignatius who were really well-known, their military service is relatively well-known, to remind the church that the... Um, that good can come of the military. Ignatius was the first to add an an additional vow to priests in his order. Um, And that vow was one of obedience. Um, The the obedience in the structure and even the camaraderie was something that Ignatius was the first to introduce to religious orders. And there had been militant religious orders. um, But Ignatius, um, it's hard to separate his military Experience and what he drew from it, and the, the value that it provided the church, um, because it, you know, it's just inseparable. Um, and that uh, highlighting people like Ignatius, who um, who drew from and benefited from, and and helped the church benefit from um, the practices and traditions uh, of the military. I think um, hopefully confronts this. This novelty that we've made of the military and of military families and personnel, to remind them that um, the church has something to learn from the military, and that to continue to polarize and to differentiate so strongly between, um, uh, you know, soldiers and civilians in the church, I think can be really harmful. And so Ignatius serves as a reminder um, that. Um, that the experiences that you acquire in the military may actually have positive value. Um, probably not all of them, but some of them, and enough to uh, change the, the course of, uh, of church and world history. A prayer for St. Ignatius from Forgotten Country in that order faith and service for ordinary radicals lord of all nations we give thanks for the life of your servant ignatius who by the mercy of your son overcame his tempestuous life and adopted simplicity and love guided by your spirit to study contemplation and prayer we ask for your strength in daily discerning your will for our lives in examining our consciences in all we do especially when violence calls our name. May we live in accordance with the witness of this soldier saint who dedicated his life to the structure and discipline, whose love gave those in his company shape and direction. Through Jesus Christ, commander of heaven and earth. Amen. Thank you for falling into First Formation where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll consider participating in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast with a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash firstformation slash support. You can sponsor morning prayer for Pew Pew people with as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a weekday lectionary reading yourself and sending it to me to be included in an episode of your choosing. Instructions for co-hosts will be provided to you directly, and you don't have to be a grunt to participate in First Formation in this or any way. Finally, and most importantly, you can send me your prayer requests of a minute or less with a recording app of your choice. Prayers may be added to a morning prayer episode, aired anonymously, if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in morning prayers for pew-pew people. I hope you'll continue to listen in and maybe even consider participating yourself. This has been Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.